0: There are times where people will talk about the, the, the difference between the secular, meaning that which is outside of God, and the, the, the sacred, that which is inside of God. And we'll look at culture, and we'll look at our lives, and we'll look at events and things of our life, and we'll say, well, is that secular or is that sacred? It's all sacred. Everything in this world is about a relationship with God. It's all about relationships. And when you come across anything, whether it's named explicitly or not, and you come across something that names truth, it's God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And what we're doing for five weeks is we're taking a look at some popular movies over the last year or so, and we're looking at them, and we're looking at the stories that they tell. People say, well, why are you doing something like that? I mean, you should be digging deeper into the word, and you should be doing it. This is how you teach. Look at the ministry of Jesus. If you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus taught, Jesus made his point, Jesus told the people who were beginning to follow him, he told them what God's kingdom was like, what following him was like, he told them what love was like, and he used it using stories, parables. Allowing people to see where faith and life intersect. So that's what we're doing for five weeks. And we thought if we're going to be talking about movies, we should make it smell like we're in a movie theater. And let's not make it smell, let's just, let's just have popcorn. So for the next five weeks, we're going to, or four weeks now, we're going to have popcorn. It's going to be really fun. And so last week we talked about the movie, Lady Bird. Next week we're going to talk about La La Land. And the week after that, Lion. And I realized we're talking about a lot of L movies this year. Wasn't intentional. Last week, we we're going to talk about the show, The Greatest Showman, which is just, for those of you who have seen it, the soundtrack will blow you away. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what these, what these films do, what these producers and these writers, what they do is they tell a story. And talk about the way in which these stories impact life, which you saw from the beginning scene of the Show Wonder Woman. You saw it just at the beginning of this sermon. Wonder Woman is this show that just came out this past year uh, based on a DC comic. Some of you are young enough that you're like, what is this whole comic thing? Some of you are old enough in here to say, I remember when comics were super popular. A lot of us don't even really care. But Wonder Woman is this incredible story about a woman by the name of Diana who's been sent to save the world. And Warner Brothers did an incredible thing. And this movie was uh, critically acclaimed. It was very well done. But no matter how well done it was and no matter how good the story is, what they did is they did something that was incredibly uh, important for our culture that in a world that so often labels men as heroes, Warner Brothers, DC Comics, and our culture said, <laughs> heroes exist beyond what sometimes we name them. Too often we think about leadership and we think about you know, who, who, who's, who, who has the strength and who has the power. And it's such a great time for us to witness doors being blown open for women, for minorities. To say we're not going to believe in a narrative that a hero has to look a certain way thought about this a lot this past week as I've been watching this movie as I've been looking through this movie and looking at the different themes and the narratives that take place in this movie and I've been thinking about our daughter who's six years old and I want her to know that she can do whatever she wants to do That whatever dream that she has, whatever goal that she has, whatever God has created her to do. And let me tell you, she is a strong little girl. Her strength is quiet, but her determination is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I want her to know that nobody gets to tell you what you can and what you can't do. Nobody gets to tell you that maybe because you are a certain gender that you can't You can't, in all due respect, rule the world. And that's not just something that's important for us to realize as a culture, that's biblical. Sometimes we have made a mistake and we've taken very small sections of Scripture, very small sections of the Bible. And we've taken these verses out and we've lifted these verses out and we've said because these verses talk about a particular group of people at a particular group of time that was facing a particular problem in the early church, that because that took place and because the person who was writing to these people happened to name what was going on, because of that, we take that and we, it's all due respect, we, we misinterpret it and we get to really funny places, really unhealthy places. When we start to say, well, when we, we think about biblical, and we think about uh, biblical leadership, and church leadership, and faith leadership, then, then truly the power and the, the, the leadership exists with man." Read your Bible, it doesn't. You saw it in the video that, that led up to the song, This is Amazing Grace. The very first people who shared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of them were the 12 disciples. They had all run away. They had all ducked for cover. They had all given up and gone back to doing what they were doing before Jesus had called them. They were all going and they were looking for cover because they thought that if people see us, they're gonna associate us with Jesus and we're gonna suffer the same fate. So they got out of town. So the first people to the empty tomb are, are the women. And Jesus calls them, the angel calls them to share the gospel, to share the good news. Read through the New Testament. L- read through the letters of Paul. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Corinthians. Paul will write to to groups of people and so often he he writes to to women and he refers to them as my co-laborers, my partners in the ministry that God has called us to. But it's not just a New Testament thing either. Go all the way back to the early books of the Old Testament. First five books of the Old Testament Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're called the books of the law. Then after that, the the Israelites are getting to the promised land and that's the book of Joshua. Joshua leads God's people, the Israelites, into freedom. And then we get to this book in the Old Testament. The book is called the book of Judges. And the judges weren't people who would criticize people or or give a a sentence to people. The judges were people that God raised up to set his people free. That in their freedom, there's a cycle that happens all throughout the book of Judges, but it happens all throughout the course of history. That the people would find themselves in a place of freedom, where they'd experience freedom and they'd experience life and in their freedom, they'd turn their back on God. Or maybe, not so blatantly, they'd turn their back on God, but maybe in their freedom, they would say, okay, now it doesn't seem as pressing for me to be in a relationship with God. Maybe now that things are going well, maybe I can just kind of do things my way. Sound familiar? I mean, it's the temptation I have in my own life, if I'm going to be honest, that when things are up on the mountaintop, when things are going well, sometimes it's in those places where I'll say, my need to spend and, and, and designate time for God, it's, not as, it's just not as important because things, things are going well. God will let you know when things aren't going well, and at that point, then I'll need you, but every time the people would start to walk their own way, things wouldn't go well. And it doesn't for us either. When we start to walk outside of God's will and God's plan for our lives, things never go well. And it's not because God wants to punish us, but God gives us his law, he gives us the commandments as a gift. And when we follow those, there is a a space that is provided that our lives can flourish. But in their freedom, we see this over and over in the book of Judges, we see it over and over in our own lives. In their freedom, all of a sudden the people would experience some sort of break, some sort of fracture. They'd find themselves in desperate situations and times of trouble. So they'd cry out. They'd cry out to help us, help us, help us, help us. So God would raise up these judges that the Spirit would come upon and God would use these people to set them free. And one of the most powerful stories, read it yourself, in the book of Judges, is the story of a woman by the name of Deborah who God used when his people are in a desperate place where they needed help. And we've all been there. And maybe that's where you are right now. Where you find yourself in a place where you just need help. We were there on Friday night. (laughs) Remember the storm that just came through on Friday? It was about nine o'clock where the storm started going. My wife and I were getting ready to go upstairs, and we were looking outside. And we were both looking outside of our uh, our front door. And the wind was going so fast. Our kids had already fallen asleep. So as we're getting ready to go upstairs, uh, all the power went off in our house. So all the power goes off. We got an email that said, "Hey, there's a power outage. About two thousand homes are affected. We were one of those homes." But in our house, we always have fans going in our kid's room to kind of like bring a little bit of white noise. And our son is a light enough sleeper that whenever a fan goes off, he wakes up right away. So the power goes off, he wakes up, and he starts to cry out because it's pitch black in our house. And we always have a light on. So he's like, Mom, Dad, what's going on? What's going on? Well, there's one problem that night. The fire alarms in our house are tied to our power. And they have batteries in them for battery backup. Well, one of those batteries wasn't powerful enough to back up. And so all of a sudden, in the middle of this power outage, every fire alarm in our house starts to just go louder than you could ever—every one. I didn't know we had that many fire alarms in our house. And not only that, there's a voice that goes along with it. It's going, fire, 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 fire. And our kids are going nuts. Our son is like, dad, mom, dad, mom, dad. He's running back and forth. And I'm going through the house making sure that there's no fire. And there's no fire. And there's no fire. And so why are these alarms going off? And we're trying to Google. But we're so frantic that we can't Google. Like, how, how do we turn this thing? Who do we turn to? And our son's like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And we couldn't turn it off. And so I called my parents. I didn't know what to do. Who do you turn to when you need help? I mean, at some point I thought I would graduate from this in my life. At some point I would be a grown up that I would have all of the answers. I had no clue. I called my dad, he was sleepy. He said, what's wrong? I said, the fire alarms are going off. He said, shut them off. I'm like, I don't know how. He said, take a battery out. And I said, you are a smart man. So one by one, we start, the first one, I wasn't smart. The first one, I just yanked the thing off the wall. Like, shush, you're freaking us out right now. Second one, I take the battery out and I locked out. It's like I won the lottery. The whole thing went quiet. So we're getting ready to go to back to bed. My son's like, I ain't sleeping alone. And his mom loves him, so she invited him into our bedroom. And his sister was awake, and he's like, if, she's like, if he gets to sleep there, so do I. And so in our bed on Friday night, it was myself, my son, my wife, my daughter, and then my wife says, what about the dog? I'm like, it's a dog. She doesn't want to be up here anyway. And so until the, oh my goodness, I was in desperate need for help, crying out. We only have a queen-size bed went bed shopping on Saturday morning. (laughs) But we've all been in that place, right? Where all the alarms are going off. And you don't even know what caused the alarm to go off. And it's screaming in your life in such a way that you just want to get it to be quiet, but it won't. And you thought that maybe you're at a place in your life that you should have the answers, but you don't? And you try to call the people that you've turned to and the answers that they have aren't sufficient to what you're facing? What do you do? And maybe when you're in that place, you start to wonder if you're worth the help in the first place. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest about those places in our lives where the alarms are going, a five alarm fire in our life, and they're going, and we think to ourselves, am I even worth putting this out, anyways? If this is going on, does my life even matter? Am I even important? Why would God even notice me? Maybe God doesn't even care about me. Maybe my life has no value. Huh. But it does. It's the amazing. One of the amazing themes that, that starts to play out in this movie Because there's Wonder Woman, Diana, who is trying to fight against this god of war by the name of Ares. It's a story. And so she's kind of met this man by the name of Steve who washes up on her island where she was brought up and they discover this book that has the answer. It takes place during the First World War and so they're fighting against an enemy who wants to defeat them. And they have the answer and they bring the answer to the people who are supposed to be able to help. But it seems as if those people don't see the value in life. Diana says they're worth it. There is not an acceptable loss for her. The commanders that they're trying to make their plea to say, you know what, that's just what soldiers do. So we got to be okay with the fact that some of them are going to be lost. She said, that's not okay. It's not okay that one person would lose their life in the middle of this. And maybe you think, maybe you think in the grand scheme of thing, in the in the grand scheme of the world, that that your life is so inconsequential that, that if you were to be lost, not just physically, but emotionally or spiritually or relationally, that if you were to be lost, that why would God care? God cares that every single one of us would be found. It's the nature and it's the backbone of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the backbone of the the scripture passage that was read to us this evening. John 3.16. It's the banner of our faith. For those of you who, who haven't spent much time in a church in your entire life, you still know you have a vague familiarity with this verse. For God so loved the world... People at football games and sporting events and concerts, they they hold up signs that say 316 because it's the gospel summed up in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anybody who believes in him, that anybody will not perish, not one, It wasn't okay. It wasn't okay that God saw that there were people that were standing at a distance from him. He loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world to die for him. To set them free. To give them the help in their moment of desperation, in the moment of their lives. That they would find life and they would find freedom and they would find forgiveness and they would find salvation. So interesting. Maybe you know the verse, maybe you memorized the verse, maybe you've known the verse for as long as you can remember. You say, yeah, it's, it's great, it's a good one. One of the things that I find fascinating is where this verse is located. My kids are, are le- learning how to read and how to do all of that stuff in school, a kindergartner and a first grader. And as they're reading through historical books, so learning how to do that, nonfiction books. And they'll talk about the importance of reading around in the story. To know what came before and to know what comes after. It's important. John three sixteen in, in John's gospel is sandwiched between the story of two different people. The beginning of John 3, there's a guy by the name of Nicodemus who on the outside, on the surface level, would have been somebody that everybody would have thought had everything going for him. He knew all of God's laws, he followed all of God's laws. He was a recognized leader, we can assume that he would have been financially secure. But he comes to Jesus. And he comes to him because there's something in his life that just isn't adding up. There's something in his life that just merely following all of the rules, it cannot give him. So he's lost. Right after the story, John chapter 4, there's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is on a journey, and he comes to a well known as Jacob's well. And tired from the journey, he sits down at this well, and he sits down, and he wants to take a drink, and there's a woman there. And in Jesus' day, a man wouldn't encounter a woman like this, especially because Jesus is Jewish and this woman is Samaritan. They despised one another. And so Jesus approaches this woman and asks her for a drink of water. John chapter four, read it, amazing story. And the woman responds and said, huh, do you know The situation you're putting yourself in right now? You're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman. And one that doesn't have anything together. Seems as if John is making sure that we don't miss something. That whether on the outside you're like a Nicodemus who has everything going for you or if you feel as if your life is an utter mess right now, or anything in between, you need to know that God loves the world so much that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you. You say, why? It's because of grace. Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five. It says, but God is so rich in mercy. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us new life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's, everybody say grace together. It's only by God's, say it again. Say it again. It's by grace you've been saved. It's nothing that you've done it's nothing that you could have earned or deserved. The word for grace in the Greek, the word is, is, is charis. It's the root where we actually get the word charity. Think to yourself why does a charity exist? A charity exists because there are people who can't provide for their basic needs. And a charity sees, a group of people sees those needs that aren't being met. And they give everything that they have away to provide for the need that cannot be met on their own. That is the nature and the character of God. And you say, why? Because God is love. We have a God, regardless of whatever narrative about God you've lived with your entire life, hear this, know this, receive this, and don't forget this. You have a God who loves you, whose love for you is reckless, whose love for you does not end, whose love for you does not have any limits. If you're here for the first time tonight, you say, yeah, but but listen to this, Pastor. Listen to this. If you knew all of the things that I have done, you would never dare offer that so flippantly to me. Seems almost too easy. Don't miss this. There was nothing easy about it. There is nothing cheap about it. Grace costs a lot. It was a difficult thing to do. I mean, just before Jesus goes, to his death, he's in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he falls to his knees, and he calls out to God, and he says, Father, if it would be at all possible, he knew the road that he was going to have to walk. He knew what was going to be asked of him. He knew, because he was God in flesh, all of the things that were going to be said about him, and all of the things that were going to be done to him, and he says in that moment, he says, Father, if it be at all possible that this cup could pass from me, if this cup of suffering could be removed from me, let it be so, but not my will, but yours be done. Because God is love. Because God's grace is for all people. He went to the cross. There's this climactic scene in this, in this movie. It's kind of the ultimate scene where Diana knows that she needs to go in and she know, need, knows that she has a, a battle that needs to be settled for once and for all for the good of humanity. Where she's going to face this, this arch enemy, this Ares, the god of war, the god of chaos. <laughs> Sound familiar? evil we're good we'll face evil for once and for all they don't deserve it he says none of us do John 3 16 moves into 17 and says Jesus says God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save it The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which literally means the good news. It's incredibly good news. Isn't to have a God who wants to point out all the bad things, but a God who wants to set us free. To save us. Because we all find moments of of desperate need. Where we recognize our need that we need something more. Diana goes out and she goes into sign of the cross. You can't make it up. And that wasn't by accident. The opportunity that we have is to receive that. You don't have to do a thing. There's nothing you need to do to earn God's love, to deserve God's love. It's unmerited. To receive us, to receive it, to to set us free. And there's no greater gift that you could ever receive. To sit in that. To trust in that. To believe in that. Not a perfect belief, not a perfect trust, not a perfect faith, none of us have it. To receive it. And then to give it. To give it to the world around us. I mean, that's why worship is so important. Because what else can you invite your friends to where they get free popcorn and get to watch movies really, really, really loud? to receive it and to give it, to hear the good news. The very opening scene of the movie is Diana. She is reflecting on this event that happened so long ago. And the movie's kind of bookended. It's bookended by her finishing up that reflection. The whole movie is a flashback. She looks back and She kind of asks the question internally: would she do it again? I've thought about that a million times. Not about myself, but about God. If God looks at what has happened and what He did on the cross, would, would He do it again? If you're involved every time, every time. That there is not one life that is an acceptable loss, and yours isn't the exception. Christ has come for you. He's come to set you free because of his love.